with another Crash Chords podcast. I, of course, am Matt. I'm John. And I'm Steve. Um, some quick upfront stuff before we dive right deep into the album. That sounded dirtier than I wanted, but we're just going to move on. Hey. Um, a former guest of the podcast, MC Lars, has a brand new full-length record, the Zombie Dinosaur LP. Um, it just came out this past week. Um, I am a huge fan of Lars. I've been a fan for a while since I got into Nerdcore. He was, of course, on episode 13 of Crash Chords Autographs, my one-on-one interview series. One of the few live interviews besides um, the folks from the Ice Cream Social podcast, which was also in person. Um, And yeah, the new album just came out. Go check it out if you're a fan of his previous work or the other Nerdcore artists I've mentioned. Um, He has some really great stuff on there, including a kind of... Liam Lynch kind of spoof of 10 things you should never say on a date, but it's in that very kind of say a thing. So spoofing that, which was pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's a great record. You should definitely check it out. On that suggestion alone. On that sample alone, rather. Yes, exactly. Me singing. It's like I was there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you can pick it up, of course, on iTunes, Bandcamp. I believe it's actually in stores as well. Um, so, yeah, definitely go check that out and support MC Lars. I'm hoping to get him back on autographs in 2016. Um, also, this past weekend, I did possibly one of the nerdiest burlesque shows ever. I did sound for it. I'll correct. Wasabasco did their version of Macbeth. Yes, Shakespeare's Macbeth as a burlesque show. So it's the burlesque show that shall not be named. When you're in a theater. When yes. I'm in a theater. Yeah, but anywhere that there's a stage, it's they're bringing the theater to you. Correct. And we've already discussed oh, how oh, that day, burlesque is theater. There are, enough, there are enough burlesque performers who are actors who have t- or have taken acting and done theater that no one was mentioning the name of the show backstage. You definitely don't do something like that. That said, it was very clever and a lot of fun. Um, some musical uh, things that they did were very interesting. Like three of the performers didn't act as the three witches. I was about to ask that. Um, as it was Evelyn Vinyl, Sidney Devereaux, and Danger Doll, and they did it to the song "Witches" by Rammstein from their fir- first record or second record. I can't remember. Um, also, Nasty Canasta as Macbeth did a striptease to an acapella version of "Under Pressure." <laughs> which was awesome and it was during the dagger scene like when Macbeth is preparing to kill for the first time it was okay. really awesome not Lady Macbeth's grasping dagger no I've heard some laughs from John before but I didn't think that would be the it's one that triggered the genuine no laugh. no no how serious is Macbeth versus the the idea of introducing under pressure I'm just I mean, saying I feel like you needed a monocle during that laugh ha 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 no, well, okay, maybe. Possibly. Maybe, so, maybe a little put on. So know. anyway, the show was incredible. Um, it's the first time I've ever done sound for Osbosco's show, and you could feel the audience. Like, people talk about how they can feel an audience being on the edge of their seat, and I'm always like, how, how, how do you know, how do you feel? But I felt it at this show. Like, you could feel people leaning into the show that they were really into it, which was very interesting. So. Cool. I, uh, if they do it again, I recommend you go seeing it. They, ha- they tend to repeat stage some of the bigger production shows, like King Kong, which they've done a few times now. So if they do Wasabasco's Macbeth, again, I highly recommend you go see it. Cool. 
I saw some concerts, a little bit. Did you? A little bit, yeah. Saw some Bach, saw some St. John Passion, a little bit of that action. 1724 Easter performance, doesn't matter that it's autumn, still performed it by the American Classical Orchestra at Lincoln Center. That was pretty neat. Cool. And also I saw Li Ying Zhu and Ekachai Jarakul. Uh, that's a Thai name, and I'm sure I'm butchering it, but I, you got to give me some credit. That was as phonetic as it's going to get, all right? Fair enough. Anyway, they're uh, classical guitarists. Saw them at Carnegie Hall, or rather Wheel Recital Hall, which is actually two doors next to Carnegie Hall, but is under the Carnegie Hall name. So, Could you have still left and asked someone, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Yes, but but with a, with a little footnote. <laughs> Obviously. And two doors down. <laughs> right. Um, cool. Um, I and imagine you, can... you did write-ups for the Classical Light on those. Yep, for uh, b- b- both articles. You can check on classicallight.com, look under Steve Nagel, and you'll see reviews for both concerts. At least he's writing articles somewhere. Oh, oh it's a little dig at <laughs> It is, at at kind of all of us, actually, hey. but whatever. Um, but no, definitely go check out Steve's articles on that site. They're great. Um, it's how we ended up doing um, stereotypes on the podcast, because he had experienced black violin through that first. Mm-hmm. So it's it been, any I feel anywhere we can get new influxes of music helps this podcast Indeed. wherever we're pulling them from indeed i'll be on the lookout for some contemporary classical to bring on this podcast at some point um also one final announcement um melissa of um uh, circadian clock announced that they are moving towards their full li- full length release album should be coming out i believe early next year so i'm excited about that hopefully we, we bet can... we get a copy hopefully we get a copy <laughs> right well i'm gonna reach out to her to see if she wants to do a one-on-one interview for the interview series possibly or come back and actually do an album this time around on this show i'm gonna reach out of to her course, later this year after the release and everything like right. that so that we're not bothering them well and so we can promote the album yes that too I'll also announce if there's a recording being done of Jirakul's performance of Stephen Goss's premiere. It's actually new as of this year. So that is the contemporary classical of which I'm speaking, which may be recorded soon because this was the premiere. So first time it was ever performed was last Friday. So gotcha. might be some time before the actual recording comes out. But Could be. That might be something to look at in the future. Um, all right. Why don't we get into this week's album? John, why don't you take us to there? This week I chose Blurry Face by 21 Pilots. Blurry Face. Blurry Face was first conceptualized by Tyler Joseph as a caricature of all of his insecurities and as a wider reaching insecurities of people in general. Direct, well, not direct quote, paraphrase quote. (laughs) And it's an interesting concept because the whole album is about this one character. Now, 21 Pilots was formed uh, by Tyler Joseph back in 2009 and has undergone a little bit of a transformation. Uh, two albums were uh, produced previous of them actually getting hooked up with Fueled by Ramen, their publishing studio. This album is their second actual labeled album, so it's almost like a sophomore piece as opposed to, you know, they've been around. It's, it's a little bit of a gray area. It's also an album that was produced on the road with multiple producers. By multiple, I mean six. Six different guys helped produce this album over the course of its recording, design, writing, everything. And it was actually mixed together by a seventh. So this has had a lot of different hands working on it, but still remains Joseph's baby, Joseph's main concept. This wouldn't be the first album we've reviewed that had multiple producers working on it. Of course, Mm -hmm. uh, Foo Fighters, which we did Sonic Highways in episode... Uh, That was 123. 
Never going to stop you. Nope. Um, that one also had multiple producers, though that was kind of more meticulously planned from destination to destination, but it was still also on the road. Yeah, this was more impromptu. It yeah. was just while they were on the road, then they figure, all right, let's well, no, lay down was... some ideas. But it was later that they actually assembled it, correct? No, no, no. Oh, this wasn't impromptu. They actually brought a portable recording studio with them Oh, for on that purpose. Tour. I thought that was incidental, like they had the recording studio and just decided, hell, we have some ideas. No, no, no. It was, it was, it was from its conception, something they wanted to do while they were on the road well this this album definitely resembles it definitely reflects their thinking about their own work so it seems like the kind of thing that's appropriate to come out of one's own concert one's own touring schedule so you're thinking about what you're doing and you're doing that every single day every single night that's your job and then all of a sudden you are only left to reflect on that and that's what a lot of these songs seem to concern there is a lot of introspection on this album at its at its grandest scale yeah, and a lot of navel-gazing in this album. Mm-hmm. The just, you know, really trying to peer into what they're doing. And speaking of what they're doing, we'll go to track one, Heavy, Dirty, Soul. So this track is, I like to um, explain to the uh, listening audience what it looks like. Um, it's it's all smushed together as one word, Heavy, Dirty, Soul. Um, which, when when artists do that for, for song title's sake, it's always interesting to me. Like, why? Why mush them all together? What's the point? There's it's like that, a that, purpose. that uh... That pattern of, of creating names just out of the blue, a little like portmanteaus, just sticking little prefixes and suffixes together from various different words. In this case, it's just three individual words, but together you get this like singular entity, heavy, dirty soul, and that's what I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's deep, man. Yeah, it's super yeah, deep. That's what I'm going for. So uh, the song starts out with a very kind of club techno-y kind of intro with a drone in the background. Actually, the very beginning reminded me of Cage the Elephant, and it quickly went into a more techno-oriented oh, You know, idea. it's funny you mention Cage the Elephant now, because there were moments later on during his singing, especially in verses where he may not be rapping necessarily, but he's singing in a little bit of an attitude-driven style where I did think of Cage the Elephant, and I it thought that it was comparable. S- sound a little um, similar, yeah. But musically, in the very beginning here of the first track, it was a little bit all over the place. It had elements of just you know, sound art with the whole eerie intro, uh, but just like a few seconds before suddenly it dives into this like 90s acid techno feel, but that only lasts for a few seconds before we're in like this freak hip hop uh, region. And this was kind of a strange bit because it's sort of like he was trying to spaz you out while still, you know, he's clearly talented. He's a talented hip hop artist. Uh, That said, the, the choruses are what really kind of bring us back to to pop at its core. They're extremely accessible. They feel like they could be on a, a, a Katy Perry album, for instance. They feel like they could be just about anywhere. But yet it's these verses where he decides to really explore. Um, but that's not to say that the choruses themselves were not uh, inviting. I think that there's already like an addicting quality to this this song as of the opener. And I feel like it, it's you can't really shun it for any reason except by saying that, well, it is radio ready to some extent. But it's, it's that little bit of phrasing that makes that hook in the chorus enticing, just like balls to the wall, enjoyable, because it's something you can easily sing along with. At the same time, he's having fun with, it, with the lilt. He's having fun with his inflection, because the lines, can you save, can you save my, can you save my heavy, dirty soul? Mm-hmm. And when he says heavy, dirty soul, it's heavy, dirty soul. <laughs> that's about as all well, the singing I'm going to do. But it's it's that back and forth, that pronunciation, the this, the the actual just back and forth inflection he's got going on. That's just it. it I get it, 
enraptured, I get entrapped in it. It's an earworm, but it's also not an, unlike what I might find, like I said, in Katy Perry, just about any other pop artist. I feel like it's 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 made to have that earworm quality, whereas other things on this on this track don't really have that. Or rather, they 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 do have an earworm quality, but they feel unique in their way. Like the pre-chorus, for instance. I think this was even more fascinating to me than the verses, and certainly more fascinating than the choruses. And this was this, gangsters, gangsters don't cry, therefore, therefore, I'm misty-eyed, therefore, I'm. And this is really unique wordplay here, specifically between that, you know, therefore, therefore, I'm Mr. Misty-Eyed. And he does this at a fairly relaxed pace. He, he's, he's almost like in a trance, just so even think of the words, you know, I'm Mr. Misty-Eyed, and, and the fact that he needs to repeat, uh, therefore, therefore, I'm. It's, it's like he's embodying that character of blurry face at this moment, and it seems very separate from the whole, which is why I'm just so in, entranced by it, just for the for the duration of this pre-chorus. Well, and also, speaking to that character of blurry face and what it represents, the whole, the meaning of that pre-chorus too, that gangsters don't cry, therefore I'm Mr. Misty-Eyed, it's this idea that he can't be, you know, t- typically the cliche rapper is considered a gangster rapper, yeah. even though that's clearly not the case and it's not been for years, that's still considered the cliche and he can't be a gangster because he cries, and so that's his own self-doubt, like needling at, well, you can't be a gangster, you can't be a rapper because you're you're emotional, yeah. and and I like that kind of self-awareness, which is not going to be on short supply. And it's where the album. music feels most introspective at the same time, yeah. where it, it feels snuffed away from the whole. It's not it's not as blaring or as self-proclaiming as the rest of the song. Suddenly, it's just well, it, it's like a diary entry for the duration of the pre-chorus. And it really, the verses themselves go out and and really do a lot to sort of start explaining frustration and anger he may have associated with this, with the lines, Nah, I didn't understand a thing you said. If I didn't know better, I'd guess you're already dead. Mindless zombies walking around with a limp and a hunch, saying stuff like, you only live once. You've got one time to figure it out, one time to twist and one time to shout, one time to think, and I say we start now. Sing it with me if you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. He's he's already starting to do some some call outs that are yeah. it's it's interesting to see where this is gonna go because right up front, I mean, your first song is going to be something that's kind of being confrontational. Yet the the music itself is not it's it's digestible even though it does have ominous feel flowing through it. Well, what I like about the instrumentation of the verse to the pre-chorus, to the chorus, is it goes through shifts from sounding a little more kind of club techno-y to getting this kind of piano shift in the pre-chorus and sounding a little lighter until the actual chorus where it feels almost angelic. It just kind of lifts up. It's just those three changes give the song some character, even though those sections themselves aren't specifically super unique. Well, they're very they're very well mixed. They're very well blended mm-hmm. such that when you get each new section, you just feel like, "All right, this is a new a, a new act in in this little mini play." Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's it's helpful just in terms of being a catchy song that doesn't feel like a carbon copy of everything else in the world. I agree, yeah. And also on top of that, like the use of sound bites and drum machines, it it it's interesting cuz when they're using these sounds, also like in the in the pre-chorus, when the piano comes in, the drums drop out completely because the mm-hmm. piano is doing a punctuated percussion kind of sound, and so there's no need for the drums. And then when the piano's done, the drums come back in to fill that void. Yeah, and of course you don't want to overshadow the vocals there because the vocals are sound in a trance by themselves. You know, it would be it would be overbearing to have any kind of heavy bloated percussion in the, in the background. And then in the bridge, we get. 
Just two renditions of the line, death inspires me like a dog inspires a rabbit. But what's going on around it is very foreboding, very ah, just messed up kind of musically compared to a lot of what else had come previously. Uh, there's a lot of just back and forth and just painting with different colors as the song goes along. Well, think about that metaphor, too. You know, death inspires me like a dog inspires a rabbit. A dog doesn't inspire a rabbit. It terrifies the rabbit, yeah. and the rabbit takes off. So the idea that you're using fear as an inspiration, I mean, that's not uncommon for musicians. And it's just, that's such a powerful line when you actually look at it. Mm -hmm. From here, we get stressed out. This was the song that really hooked this band for me because it was the first thing I know I listened to. Not think I listened to because that comes later, but I know I've heard this song before. And when I YouTubed it because I was looking for inspiration, it was just fun. I, this song is full of surprises. It mm -hmm. has a wonderful flow like throughout. I really adore this this brushing sound that it sort of begins with, or rather a bowing sound, because it sounds yeah. as if an upright bass just stepped in to really do this long bow bow strum on on the, on the one and on the three. And it, it's a it's a very powerful exposition just to feel like there's a big gulp being taken at every single measure, uh, or actually twice every single measure. And then finally, when he gets into the verses, this this is where the album starts taking on a theme that I think he had been hinting at in the beginning, and, and now it starts to get a lot more, a lot more fine-tuned. Just look at verse 1. I wish I found some better sounds no one's ever heard. I wish I had a better voice that sang some better words. I wish I found some chords in an order that is new. I wish I didn't have to rhyme every time I sang. Eh? It's clever <laughs> that he rhymes I mean, all those lines until he actually mentions Until rhyming. he actually says it. But it's not just that. Obviously, when you look at this, you see that based on the insecurity that, that, that John had mentioned at the beginning, the idea that this whole album was sort of built off of not just his insecurities, but the insecurities of other people, there's a keen awareness of being a musician at every single step here. He's bringing to light the fact that he is a musician. He's producing art, and most artists are pretty insecure about their work anyway. But some have the balls to do certain things that other artists don't do. Mm. And in this case, we said our, our, our piece about it being fairly safe from, from the beginning. Yes, it, it has its, its diversity within the confines of what you'd expect from pop, but still it's a very warm and inviting track. Now here, it's a little bit more uh, edgy. It's a little bit more on the peripheral, but you still feel as if this is pop every step of the way. It's just that his lyrics are sort of conveying his own constrictions within the medium, and I find that absolutely fascinating because this becomes a, a theme throughout many of these tracks, and it's, I mean, we often do get tired of saying the word meta, but this is the definition of the artist who's self-aware about his art as he writes his art. It, it's it's pretty fascinating to get into that mind because uh, he's very upfront about it. And when you look at the pre-chorus and chorus, my name's Blurry Face and I care what you think. My name's Blurry Face and I care what you think. Wish we could turn back time to the good old days when our mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. Now, what I like about that about the chorus is the way he also delivers stressed out. He adds an emphasis on the OU sound of out instead of on the tail end. I mean, that's where the meat of the word is for such a short word, but he just kind of drags it out and adds an emphasis to it. But also, with these lyrics, what I like is this kind of character that he's building out matches the instrumentation. I thought that the music kind of sounded like it was sauntering, but I feel like it's more almost dredging. It's kind of like 
kind of picking itself picking itself up slowly to move forward through this stressful situation. But the funny thing is, I actually felt like there was yeah, picking itself to to move forward. I think maybe that's a little more accurate here because of the way it, it feels like it's just he's he's strolling, walking, almost whistling to the idea that that these are all of his problems and he's aware of it. It's maybe a, a form of catharsis. Yeah. That's actually a good way to put it. It's really, really showcased when the piano and the drum work is working together in the chorus. It's that combination that I like. And when the second verse comes in, that piano that does continue through, it adds a great layer to the emphasis that he's putting on his words. A great layer to just really honing in a lot of the points he's trying to make as he's singing. Mm-hmm. Well, as he's rapping. This combination it shows a lot of work in the layering that I do enjoy in rap. Yeah, and there's another thing I want to I want to hone in on, which is the the character of Blurry Face, because obviously we said in the beginning he, it's an invented character. We know it's invented. It's it's a character he invented for the purpose of the story, and I I, I kind of want to get to the to the core of the reasons why, because I almost gather that when he says at the end of the verse, "But now I'm insecure and I care what people think." And then in comes the pre-chorus, my name's Blurry Face, and I care what you think. I care what you think. It's like he created he created a, an entity to actually embody what he wants out of life or what he wants out of his art, the ideal. Well, it's also this idea that a nagging voice in the back of your head that's telling you what you should or shouldn't do is in your best interest, when it's not always. But this idea that there's something telling you you're too stupid, you can't do it, you're, you know, you're insecure, is saying that to protect you when it's not necessarily protect protection that's why the character saying i care what you think because it cares because it's the embodiment he of, invented it to be the antithesis right. of that voice that yeah. the uh, the voice that all of us fear yes and and i think that also what's what's interesting about the structure of this song is this kind of reminiscent on things before this stress comes out like later on in the lyrics um it talks about you know when you're you're younger and you used to play pretend used to play pretend bunny we used to play pretend wake up you need the money this idea that as a kid all of us didn't think about money all we thought about was going to play outside or playing video games or hanging out or or playing board games or whatever it was you didn't think about money except when you had to ask mom and dad for something for food or to go out with your friends right well 20 bucks yeah whereas now it's like as an adult well, for it's, for example, for me, I pre-ordered a video game that I'm so excited to come in the mail. I'm gonna play for two hours and then go to bed because I can get can go to work in the morning. Whereas, like yeah. as a kid, you didn't have to worry about that stuff. And in order to get that game, I had to first work x many hours to earn the money to buy the game so I can play it and then go to bed to go to work. The self-defeating cycle of life. Yeah, I mean that's best exemplified with out of student loans and treehouse homes. We all would take the ladder. Yeah. And I, first off. Nice use of the word ladder. Nobody uses words like that, former and ladder and that kind of Oh, you're really just honing in on the, the ladder that is in the treehouse home? I don't know if that was the idea, but maybe. maybe. But it's, it's that wish to go back to childhood that here, the metaphor he's using, I mean, it's something that people will instantly see. The it's idea very of relatable. All your, your, but it's your world. Your mm-hmm. treehouse is your world. That's where you play pretend. That's where you enjoy life. That's where you create magic in a lot of ways as a child but it's a cold reality of student loans of homes of taxes of you know significant others and what that that entails in that way of children of all these things just what do you wish you could choose versus what you have to deal with i love this i love just being able to 
to explain this in very enjoyable ways because that's what it own, it came down to for me. You could, I, I almost don't want to be sim- so simplistic about it, but you can kind of condense this track into sort of saying, don't be a sellout. But it's not quite that simple. I feel like that's oversimplifying it because you lose a lot of the You lose a lot of the details because when people, people say that all the time, don't be a sellout, man. I think people, most people don't even know what the hell that means. No. Don't be a sellout. It being a, if being a sellout just means like, you know, Becoming well, doing popular. your job yeah. and if that's a byproduct, then so be it. Then, then you know, go to hell. <laughs> yeah. But, but it, this is more an idea of stay true to certainly what you want in life at every step. Stay true to yourself. Stay like, true to yourself, which when, is why he goes in these diatribes about, like, when he was young. Well, because I think when people are saying, don't be a sellout, like, this idea that when Metallica cut their hair and played cleaner metal, they were selling out because they weren't being true to themselves. They were being a band they weren't, but it, but they were being true to themselves. That's the evolution they wanted to make. Yeah. But fans don't always see that. Especially the ending. This is really honed in with that ending where you get the vocalizer or a guest vocalist going super deep for the outro. It's not used to play pretend. It's used to play pretend. Used yeah, to that pretend. little. The, the, I mean, it's but it's the it's, deep it's voice, that. which is is a cliche, hands down. I well, mean, it's been used in hip hop all across the board. But it works here because it's supposed to be a cliche. Right. I think that's the meta quality of this song. Is that in many ways, I feel like he is, he's he's using the system to his advantage, which yeah. I think is what is so endearing about this. Even as much as you might at a glance take it as as just another drop in the bucket but still i i would say that this song pushes more boundaries just by the virtue that it is so catchy and it does have such a good flow to it you can still say that it's expertly at the top of its game within the confines of what pop music quote unquote permits from here we go to track three which is simply called ride and i said something off the air that i want to repeat i had no expectations for this song except exactly what this sounded like. And what I mean is, with a track called Ride, I didn't really have any expectations for the track, but the minute it started and had this kind of reggae mixed with a little bit of techno and this had this groove, like a cruising song, immediately it clicked. I was like, well, yeah, this is what Ride should sound like. Um, It was also kind of reminiscent to me of a 311 song because if you do mix techno, rock, and reggae, that's pretty much 311's bread and butter. So I'm I'm inspired to think of them, but it still had its own character. It was mostly in the choruses, because the choruses get really pared down. Um, a lot of the, the, the busyness of the verses uh, just disappears. It, it, sorts, it sort of sets up the duality, because the choruses... Uh, with lines like, I've been thinking too much. That became the major theme of this track. Even though the verses are talking about thinking, are talking about just cruising along and really being introspective, the courses are honing in on the idea of it's too much. It's, it's being in my head too much. And that idea of going back and forth, having the energy of the ride versus the aftermath of it right built into the song is great for what the song does. Right, and the primary chorus is I'm falling, so I'm taking my time on my ride. And I'm falling, so I'm taking my time on my ride. I mean, this is really the the antithesis of like what you're, I guess, supposedly expected to do. And this is like the song that just pulls away from the world and just pulls away from everything that other, you're otherwise expected to do. And just, it, it is that environment, like what 311 normally does in their sort of cool, relaxed environment. Whether you're on the beach or you're driving on Sunset Strip or whatever, this is his immersing in that because you've he's been too obsessed with all of the other things. It's something everyone has to do. I think in order to be healthy, you need to just pull back into something you're more comfortable with. What I like, though, is like lyrically and, and 
for what the song sets up, it is very self-aware. And this isn't the first time this this narrator will have self-aware moments. But the fact that he's talking about that he's falling, but also is taking concentrating on this ride is this kind of awareness to his own failings, but still letting his mind relax and moving forward and moving on. But that relaxation just gets destroyed in the second verse. And that's what I really love about it because it's it's the very rap section of the track and it is great rap. I'd die for you, that's easy to say. We have a list of people that we would take. A bullet for them, a bullet for you, a bullet for everyone in this room. But I don't seem to see many bullets coming through see many bullets coming through. Metaphorically, I'm the man, but literally, I don't know what I'd do. I'd live for you, and that's hard to do. Even harder to say when you know it's not true. Even harder to write when you know that tonight there will be people back home who tried talking to you, but then you ignored them still. All these questions, they're for real. Like, who would you live for, who would you die for, and who would you ever kill? Mm. That is really pointed right there. That is some, that's solid wordsmithing right there. I love what he says. Let's also, let's also not overlook the instrumentation in this song. Um, yeah, it's easy to get kind of caught up in the in the words because obviously at every step he's pulling his heart in his sleeve. So you're mm-hmm. going to feel for him if you have any semblance of a heart to your own. But this reggae kind of groove that they're they're curating throughout the track feels very very. It, it just it fits like a glove around this kind of scene that they're setting, and I think it's very interesting to to take this when we in the first two tracks had really no hint of that kind of style it was very refreshing to get this in the third track yeah the 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 music is very much in just the vein of letting loose and it's 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 enjoyable but i i am with your earliest comments about how you know this definitely rings of of the familiarity of so many other reggae bands out Mm -hmm. there but it's it's appropriate for what he's building and it does contrast the doubts that he has um at every turn so let's move on to track four fairly local which I honestly thought was probably the most uh, the most stirring track as far as exposition was concerned. It was very exotic. It, it enters in with these sort of synth horn sounds. At least they function like a horn. They they usher in something that was a lot more March-like. And then you also have the snare in the background. There was just got that re- resonating uh, reverb. And it, it's sort of strange in his vocals how he chooses to stress certain things because this is more... The fantasy is over. The fantasy that he enjoyed in the previous track is over now, and now he's much more focused on on, on the issues at hand. I'm fairly local. I've been around. I've seen the streets you're walking around. I'm fairly local. Good people now. And then, of course, the oh, oh, oh. But it's really more in the verse. I'm evil to the core. What I shouldn't do, I will. They say I'm emotional. What I want to save, I'll kill. Is that who I truly am? I truly don't have a chance. Tomorrow I'll keep a beat and repeat yesterday's dance. And this is pretty dire stuff here. I mean, when you're just looking at this, tomorrow I'll keep a beat and repeat yesterday's dance, obviously keep a beat is another reference, self-reference to being a musician and repeat yesterday's dance. This is where it's starting to get into more like uh, indictments of the music industry, but that you can easily be caught in a loop. He will change this up later, but as of here, this is just, he's thoroughly... He's thoroughly immersed in this, and he intends to kind of just keep the repetition going. Uh, but even just the beginning, I'm evil to the core, and how each and every phrase here is so spaced out. I'm evil to the core. What I shouldn't do, I will. And the stressing is very... It, it has this this interesting flow to it, but also kind of caught in a daze a little bit. You know, it's again more in that diary entry style. The the diary entry that, that you wouldn't let anyone read, despite this is obviously very public. Well, and also the instrumentation has a strong kind of 
industrial kind of machine kind of feel. So the, I think that halting nature to the lyric delivery rings of this kind of being caught in this kind of machine or this repetitive machine-like state, yeah. which comes from these the, the music too. And when he goes into the second verse and really just... It's really just a contrast to the first verse. It comes out as as even more pleading. I'm not evil to the core. What I shouldn't do, I will fight. I know I'm emotional. What I want to save, I will try. I know who I truly am. I truly do have a chance. Tomorrow I'll switch the beat to avoid yesterday's dance. That contrast between the two, I mean, it's it's simple to, to really just say the opposite or to use the same words and just have negatives or positives in place of one another. But its, it's presentation comes off as pleading well, against the music. Well, it also, it continues to give this representation of self-awareness. That first paragraph where he's kind of almost delusionally like trapped in negativity and then spins it around with a realization in the second paragraph, in the second verse. And this idea that you can kind of come out of this state, but it's very personal and, and very self-aware. He's clearly talking about himself, or if not, a close friend. Tomorrow I'll switch the beat. That's the one thing that really, really gets me. And it, it, it because of the fact that this is, this is speaking about the music itself. You you can you can make the the you can equate it to life. Of course, yeah. you can equate it to life, and you can equate it to any other person who's going through this. And switch the beat is a rather nice metaphor for it. But you got to bring it back to the fact that he is a musician, and this is what interests me that that the song itself is in general not terribly outside the norm, which means that it really links more with the first verse than the second. This is the present today. I'll I mean, or rather tomorrow, I'll I'll keep a beat and repeat yesterday's dance, or it's him speaking of tomorrow, and then the next day is some day at a later point, tomorrow I'll switch the bead to avoid yesterday's dance. You don't really know which one he's decided on. It seems more likely that at the end, well, that's the, the realization he's come to, that's why he puts it at the end, try to be positive, of course, but I, the music doesn't necessarily reflect this. Well, it it's kind of hollow. It's more along the lines of, of the deep scale of, of a lot of the cliches that are in a lot of the rap hip-hop I still music. like the stressing. I still like that stuff. No, I I'm just... talking musically. It's 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 a lot of just deep percussion that's that's built throughout this. Yeah. And it's not and very, very inventive. That I will say. It's it's really not wowing me musically. It's where I noticed, especially as a result of the lyrics, that that the album seems to want to be outside of itself musically. It's yeah. not to say that this is the, 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 the worst track in the album. I, I rather like the music here. But it feels like it could be so much bigger. And it feels like the lyrics convey the fact that he wants it to be so much bigger in the same way that he wants big changes in his life or for anyone's. It bring us back, brings us back to that meta thing and that the, the fact that he, Chicken or the Egg, is he singing about this because he's struggling with it or is he struggling with it because he's singing about it? Exactly. Like it's, it's this kind of endless loop. And that's why I think the first verse and the second verse feel connected to a point where you don't know what the final resolution was. You don't know how he's looking at it because it could be either or. It could be both at the same time, almost like, um, you know, uh, uh, Schrodinger's cat in a box. You're not sure what the final result is. You haven't opened that lid. Yeah. You're kind of looking at both at the same time. Technically, at this moment, both are correct. Absolutely. So that's that's actually an amazing analogy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, just, go, I'm going to move on to the next song and uh, let's end on a high note. Yes, track five, "Tear in My Heart," and I actually kind of like the fun he's having here with homonyms because to look at it, it could be "Tear in My Heart," but he says "Tear." 
yeah uh, it, they kind of cross over <laughs> so this this track i mean from the moment it starts has a more kind of indie pop like very bouncy feel it's, it's piano rock yeah it's it's clever it, it, it's clever and cheeky in this kind of you know very in your face pop track you know that's the sentiment you get in i mean it's it's, it's <laughs> I like it in a very standard Progression of the piano. You could perhaps take this further back in time. I still think it's just in a modern indie rock sense. Oh sure, yeah. I, I'm comparatively thinking it's more like an early Killers track. You know, it has that kind of light-hearted feel, regardless of the lyrical content. You know, like uh, somebody told me, is a very upbeat pop track, but it's the lyrical content is actually a lot more distressing. And this kind of feels that kind of same vibe. This is also where I thought that the vocals were most like Cage the Elephant, to bring up John's earlier point. Yes. I figured, like, this is where you would note, note it, if anything. Especially, if especially the songs on the radio are okay. <laughs> but my taste in music is your face. And the way he's just so matter-of-factually stating that out. My taste in music is your face. As if just... It's a... not, no, it's, it's even further. It's your face. Like, it's it's there. Like, he had to throw an extra attitude point right there. Well, it's like when people ask. They try to, like, you know, uh, coax you or cajole you into, into placing you in a box. So what are your taste in music? And you say something and they're like, ah, huh. Got you figured out. Well, you know what? Screw you. Yeah. That's his way of simply simply saying, you know, screw you. My taste in music is your face, face. all right? Yeah, like, I don't have to justify anything to yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm going to like Nickelback if I want to. Yeah, ooh. <laughs> no, but, no, I'll judge you. <laughs> but he's having fun with these lyrics. She's a tear in my heart. I'm alive. She's a tear in my heart. I'm on fire. She's a tear in my heart. Take me higher than I've ever been. And that... Then I've never been the way he just tries for a falsetto the, right the, there. The, the falsetto. I always, I always talk to Steve about how, and I think Steve mostly agrees. When oh. when sing, when singers have a, a wealth of talent, but they're not necessarily a falsetto singer, but they still go for it and they they one hundred percent commit to it. Oh, Even yeah. if they don't hit the nut correctly, it still has this honesty to it when it's delivered. Yeah, because the the voice cracking, the voice breaking at the seams when you attempt is is a very it just evokes the, the very essence of what you were trying to do. The yeah. fact that you tried, I think people people read into that. But the song musically goes through a very steady progression. By the time we get to the chorus, we're going through a very standard go for a big bill in the piano rock song kind of a situation as everything starts just getting more condensed and more condensed to support his vocal work. I mean, I'm still enjoying the vocals. I'm still enjoying the lyrics. It's still got that earworm quality, but the music is a little bit lackluster well, for the, it. The lyrics are meant to shine here, and it's obvious when we've read them, just the little bits, that the cheeky lyrics are what are supposed to stand out. So bringing the music a step back or so, so you can kind of tune it out and let it just support the lyrics makes sense. That said, of course, it does make for a track that could be considered a little stale. I did enjoy it. I thought it was fun. But I, it definitely was unlike anything we had heard before. I felt the other tracks were more engaged. Especially by the time we get like the, the synth in here, which is... Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to compare this yet again to Katy Perry. I mean, it really reminded me even of like the Katy Perry track Dark Horse. Very similar. But I, yeah, I go back to the lyrics, especially for the bridge, because it is a pretty substantial bridge in here. And it, I, this is where the lyrics really drew me in. You fell asleep in my car, and I drove the whole time. But that's okay, I'll just avoid the holes so you can sleep fine. I'm driving, here I sit, cursing my government for not using my taxes to fill holes with more cement. You fell asleep in my car, and I drive the whole time. But that's okay, because I just filled the holes. Avoid the holes so you sleep fine. And it just goes on this round. It's the same exact refrain. But I really enjoy that, the idea of like cursing my government for not using my taxes to fill holes with more cement. Of all the things to complain at your government for, and frankly, that's the thing that everyone complains 
complains about. Wow, the damn potholes. That's the thing that is going to really, really get him on this one. And I just love the flow. I love his vocal style here. It's, it's, it's enthralling in some ways. It still has the... It still has a hip-hop air to it, but it's amidst a rock, a rock backdrop, and I really enjoy that. And then the song ends on a dour note. It really just sort of breaks down and gets that, that kind of lonely man with a piano all by himself auditorium we love to use because it's all over the place. But it works, especially when he, uses, he changes up the words in this chorus. My heart is my armor. She's a tear in my heart. She's a carver. She's a butcher with a smile. Cut me farther than I've ever been. And it's it's that invitation of pain that I just enjoy. I mean, sometimes when you're going for something that might be bigger and better, that that idea that you have to suffer for love in so many ways, or you have to invite the pain that's associated with it, I, I enjoy that. It's even simpler than that. It's anything worth it doesn't come easy. So the pain or anything else. But anything worthwhile doesn't come easy. And this conveys that. The fact that, you know even if you're in love with somebody you still have to go through pain to 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 you know develop that love and that seems apparent in I that mean, final even, course even that line she's a tear in my heart i'm alive yeah. like like that, that combination she's hurting me i know i'm a real person cuz right. i bleed blah 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 yeah. wax eloquent if you prick me but do i so not bleed sim- it's so simple <laughs> it's so just to the point i mean that's what he does that's yeah. that's what joseph does he just gets to the point very quickly but he puts it in a, in a nice metaphor. Yeah, um, I'm on, I even like the, the the other answers there. I'm alive. I'm on fire. Take me higher. It's a kind of transcendent feeling of being alive. From here, we can go to the next track, Lane Boy. This right away became just hypnotic for me between the vocals and the pickiness. The how uh, how yeah. just punctuated it became. The texture was quite a bit different here. We uh it's kind of sounded like a like a marimba almost. Um but yeah, also a little bit picky at the same time. But it layers on one after the other. It's got a bass. It's very like ratatatish on the drums and also I think this might be some of his best lyrics because this Again, going back to the same concept, this really is, I think, once again about staying true to your art, but he's a little bit more decisive this time. And it has to do, starting off with the chorus, they say stay in your lane, boy, lane, boy, but we go where we want to. They think this thing is a highway, highway, but will they be alive tomorrow? Now, especially when he says stay in your lane, boy, lane, boy, it almost sounds if he's saying lame, boy, it almost sounds as if there's a, there's a sense of being lame in this because of the way he drags that out and then repeats it. And of course, what's more lame about then simply staying in your lane, that's a very boring thing to just go uh, travel the route that was predestined for you all the way to the end. And again, when you bring this back to it being music, that would be the equivalent of just staying the course and doing what the, the industry says and doing what things what people basically say will make you money in the end without necessarily straying and and pushing your art in different directions. But we go where we want to. They think this thing is a highway, but will they be alive tomorrow? Quite another indictment, essentially saying, well, people who do make that decision, maybe they will be 15-minute hits. Maybe they'll have their 15 minutes of fame, but will they really be... Will their art be carried through to posterity if they're not really, really pushing it? He's a lot more firm in this. He doesn't seem to be taking the self-defeating route here. No, he seems a lot more confident here, but also this, yeah, this is more or less an indictment of the music industry as a whole now. This idea that people get samey and safe, and he's talking about how if you don't go on this adventure, 
you might not even exist. But it's even further than that because because these lyrics, he speaks directly about his own his own art. I love these words. They think this thing is a highway. If it was our way, we'd have a tempo change every other time change. Because our minds change on what we think is good. I wasn't raised in the hood, but I know a thing or two about pain and darkness. If it wasn't for this music, I don't know how I would have fought this. Regardless, all these songs I'm hearing are so heartless. Don't trust a perfect person and don't trust a song that's flawless. Honest, there's a few songs on this record that feel common. I'm in constant confrontation with what I want and what is poppin'. In the industry, it seems to me that singles on the radio are currency. My creativity's only free when I'm playing shows. That is freaking awesome. That's just awesome. Every single sentence here, every single phrase is 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 needed. Everything is required. Everything is weighted. I mean, I, I I could I could break down each and every one of these. I won't. I will just randomly pick one or two. Obviously, I have a, a personal uh, uh, affection toward the line. We, if if it was our way, we'd have a tempo change every other time change, which is amazing because obviously everyone knows. All right, most of pop music, the vast majority, is going to be a singular tempo through and through. Never change the tempo, and maybe never even change the time. Everything is just going to be digestible, so people don't have to constantly shuffle their expectations around. But and that's what his desire is. Yet the music contrast with this it keeps everything very very formulaic it's the same thing as earlier but here it's like he's screaming outside of the music of what he wants to, it to be well, he, which know, really which really makes you wonder about some of the the challenges he had to actually overcome well he's also referencing his own album in this song i mean it doesn't get more meta than that you know um, when he's saying that some of the songs on a few songs on this record that feel common referring to his own music saying that he put out pop stuff that he's ripping on. I mean, yeah. I'm in constant confrontation with what I want and what is popping. I mean, right there. He's, it's, it's, I love every this little is, bit. This is even further in the self-awareness that I've been talking about this whole album. Like, this is really just even pushing it more, where he's literally standing on top of the CD as it's been, saying, this is me, I'm talking about me. Hey, look at me. Yeah. And and it, it's just so apparent. But what's interesting is after... this powerful verse and the chorus again you know when we get to the breakdown on this track he goes from being repetitive and being formulaic in the sound to doing this kind of dubstep acid techno mashup with reggae with reggae with reggae mixed in that is different that feels different that speaks to what he was talking about and breaks those barriers you have to wait until you get through all the verses until you finally emerges with that but it does seem to to push those barriers in some respect i get a sense even still like he wants to go further he says even at the very end my my creativity is only free when i'm playing shows yeah because who's watching you that it's it's you you make the calls at the end of the day and there. all and uh, most artists try to elaborate on their studio recordings mm-hmm. live they try and make it a little different because no one wants to hear the exact scene they but, bought the CD. But the, the, the most pointed line on this song is, don't trust a perfect person and don't trust a song that's flawless. And just, that right there. I was just going to bring up the same line. Flawless, perfect, crystallized, yes, formulaic. Or manufactured. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and it's that, also part of the whole loudness war, the concept that, well, music sometimes is just, it, it's made to fit people. You can't yeah. do that. That's That's not the way... Music usually works. That's not the way art usually works. You make it, and then it is what it is to certain people. Um, and the whole song—that's not the way a lot of people do look at it. The whole song musically does promote movement, and that's the best part about it for me. Is There's that a we have we have not just a progression, a ride. There is yeah. a ride here. Kind of the ride that was 
sort of missing as a, a throughout theme in this track previously called Ride. Here, it feels like when he goes into that breakdown, yes, now they've actually shifted lanes. They're on the wrong side of the road. They're they're street racing. They're doing something that is, you know, morally ambiguous and and legally illegal. They're actually breaking <laughs> the rules here. I like that legally illegal. That's and, a, that's that the kind of defines working within the confines. And to have that outro as sort of a. And the quote expansive outro, the one where they just keep more, going. It was more fanciful. It was still in the realm of techno, but this this track is clearly in three chunks. The first chunk is a more formulaic sound mixed with very self-aware and very impactful lyrics. Mixes to a midpoint that's dubstep and acid techno heavy and this big massive breakdown that's still not even pushing the limits that clearly this artist wants to do. And then the outro kind of leads to this, it's almost this next level. It's almost like he's becoming transcendent. He's transitioning Starry night, driving in the desert kind mm -hmm. of a feel in a couple of ways. I mean, there's a lot going on there. It just, it, it moves Moves. It, the song really does have a progression that allows you to really kind of get wrapped up in the event that is the song. I, I do honestly believe that even if we didn't know any of these lyrics, if we if we couldn't read them, we couldn't we didn't bother transcribing them, and you just replaced replaced every single syllable with gibberish. I do think this song would be would have a really really good flow to it. Um, we may not be reaching the same pivotal themes, perhaps, but I still think it would work. Uh, so it shows that he's a he's an expert musician, even alongside these fairly heavy themes he's laying down. Let's go to track seven, The Judge. It starts off with a desolation wind kind of an idea, the very blowing out in the desert, which is actually which is, why I kind of equated the ending of Lane like Boy. A, which it. is very strangely followed up by like a ukulele or mandolin. We have a hard time it, pick, it, picking it, those apart. The intro is more reminiscent of like a light earthquake rumble, like or like something yeah. vibrating, like a train running underground. And yeah, it does give way to a ukulele that, you know, as the ukulele gets louder and more prominent with the vocals, the rumble kind of fades to the background, but stays for about half the song, just kind of rumbling in the background, adding a little effect. It stays for a good effect. portion of it. Um, and then when it does go into something a little bit more reggae, uh, then all of a sudden it does kind of disappear. But at this time, the, the reggae section I thought was very constricted. I, th I thought it wasn't as it wasn't as happy-go-lucky as, as we got maybe back in, in track three in, in Ride. It, it's it's clear that he's aware of this. We've already gone through this several tracks in a row. We we know he's aware when he 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 steps back into his more relaxed tracks. Um, but the chorus here is just so happy-go-lucky. It seems to lift itself up in an almost uncanny way, considering some of the the previous songs, and considering that rumble in the beginning. There's a there's a obvious juxtaposition going on here. I just uh, I don't know. This is where I start getting a little picky with it because I I've heard him cry out so many times about the stuff that he wants to do, and I'm kind of starting to really want it. Maybe on the, his behalf. Well, there's a there's two things, especially when verse two comes in, and verse two has a little bit more depth in the percussion that did add uh, meaning behind it that I think was missing in that first verse. It, yeah. There's also a quiver in his vocals that just that shows a little bit of an an edge to his emotional state that's going on right here. And then there's just well, he's being candid once again, but this candidness is very self-deprecating that. I think was kind of glossed over. We were getting insecurities in the first six tracks, but here it, there's a lot of self-deprecation that I really enjoyed. It's self-deprecating in a unique way. The artist doesn't matter. You're the judge. Yeah. You're the judge. And that's the refrain he keeps going back to. Set me free. I know my soul's freezing. Hell's hot for good reason. So please take me. You're the judge. 
Uh, that's a pretty interesting way to just approach your public, your, your populace, the people who buy your albums. If this is what you want, then I'll do it. If this is what you don't want, then I won't do it. It, it seems very self-deprecating in that light, as only an artist can be. Um, I mean, despite the most artists aren't like that, but... He calls out, but I'm no good with directions and I hide behind my mouth. I'm a pro at imperfection and I'm best friends with my doubt. And now that my mind's out and now I hear it clear and loud, I'm thinking, wow, I probably should have stayed inside my house. So, I mean, he's even talking about getting called out for being different, for for, for using his mouth in a way that he uses his mouth. It's... It's really interesting, but it was about two-thirds of the way through the track that Storm really hit upon the theme. Well, it's clearly that this, and Steve t- uh, hinted at this earlier on, but this song is to the listener. It's to the person listening to the song, and it's done in a very poppy kind of, I compared it to Walk Off the Earth, kind of pop, kind of engaging anthem song. But instead, he's singing to the audience saying, you know, that you're the judge, set me free. Like, you know, I made this say. thing. Yeah. Oh, he wants approval. That's just it. He's That's seeking it. approval. He's seeking approval, but I still, I, I do uh, hone in on that that de- self-deprecating thing. No, I, absolutely. I think there's there's a way of if you are seeking approval to the point where your art is a product of crowdsourcing, then you're gonna have some serious self-identity problems, especially going forward in your career. Well, also, most people actively seeking approval have low self-esteem. The people who have high self-esteem don't seek approval because they don't care. They're so wrapped up in themselves they don't care. It's the low self-esteem or the self-deprecators that want the approval because that's how they remedy right, it. Right, but there's an inherent flaw in that. I sure. mean, who, who wants their art to be a product of crowdsourcing? We have all decided this is what we should have. I mean, that, that's, not, that's not what really gets our spine tingling at the end of the day. The things that really gets us is to something that only that one singular person could have come up with that no one else could have because it came out of his head. And that's the thing that, that can't be reproduced and that can't be uh, imagined or, or, or put forth by a populace. You, you get it and, and you're, you're affected by it deeply because of that personal edge. And, and it doesn't seem like that's what he's going for here, which is why I get a cheekiness in this and that this is not really what he wants, but it's, it's what you feel like when you're that low. There is a little bit of an edge, a, a definite increase in, in texture I was looking for when the bridge comes around. And then the... After the bridge, when he goes into the chorus again, he does it at about half speed, give or take. And he's mm-hmm. he's really paring it down to just really more like piano and a steel drum, like a straight-up reggae steel drum instead of just alluding to it. It's it's definitely a different kind of a feel. And then it, it tops off with piano rock. It, he almost goes through the motions of, like, pop. Almost like a theater piano after that. It's a lot of different sections. It really is. There's a few... It's not, like, the most diverse... Of framework, but it's it is yeah, it's a kind of a cross section of pop in many ways to sort of say, well, if you want this, I'll I'll do this. If you want this, I'll I'll do this. It's a it's a it's a smorgasbord. But but that smorgasbord is still nothing that we haven't tasted before. I mean, most of it it feels very familiar, and so I feel but like that's, and that's what I get the sense is the idea right, that absolutely you know, and that's also like the judge. When you judge people, you're usually judging them for very mediocre or average or repetitive things. Yeah, and so I think that's this at its core. From here we go to track eight, Doubt. And we start track eight with a very strong synth intro, which we hadn't really gotten before. A lot of the piano had felt very natural and organic. Here we've got this deep, almost eerie synth intro that I feel, and John kind of pointed this out, I agreed, was kind of supposed to embody 
doubt, which is what the song is the meant synth, to represent. The synth that contrasted that, like more on the high end, is mm-hmm. almost like this exorcist style inspired synth. Yeah. You know, that, that really high, that, that's at least what felt more eerie to me. The rest of it was just very club ready, I felt. Yeah. The idea, though, of the judge and Doubt works so well in tandem with one another because Doubt is where he actually kind of gets this release of the judge, the listener, letting him do what he wants. So he starts off, scared of my own image, scared of my own immaturity, scared of my own ceiling, scared I'll die of uncertainty. Fear might lead to the death of me. Fear leads to anxiety. Don't know what's inside of me. This is him actually looking on the inside and going, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What if, if I give them what I want to give them instead of what they want from me? I mean, it's a great just answer to the question of let me free in the previous track. Actually, I love it. It's actually, even though with those first three lines, each one is a different facet of being an artist. You're scared of your own image, as in how what people what you come across as to other people. You're scared of your own immaturity, which is obviously the artists all, always seeking validation that they are better than other people, because of course it does come down to a competition in the end. It, prowess, virtuosity. And then finally, scared of your own ceiling, which is how good can you be? The yeah, like, idea, where, where's, when, the, top where's the peak? Everyone peaks. You, yeah. you will have a peak in your life, and after that point, you would just slowly plateau or, or go downhill as you fade from public image. Which is why I like how R&B and Hey, Look at Me, the, the, the choruses actually are. Now, that's, that said, I like Don't Forget About Me, Don't Forget About Me. Yes, he's pleading with I tried something, don't, don't, don't leave me out in the cold, but at the same time, I kind of wanted more musically from it. It was just a little bit too meta in this point. It feels like, though, that that chorus is addressing the audience again because it's don't forget about me, don't forget about me. Even when I doubt you, I'm no good without you. And so it still feels like he's pleading from the audience for that acceptance. And the mix of the hip-hop, you know, uh, versus versus the R&B chorus, I think really conveys this kind of embodiment of doubt and the unsureness of his style, especially going from a hip-hop that's so strong to an R&B that's kind of ubiquitous, shows the doubt. He's falling back on that crutch that he knows will work because it's proven to work. Well, this would be somewhat immersive and introspective and and hypnotic if I just wasn't so familiar with it. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I, I just am a little sick of some of these tropes here, and the the most we get is maybe it's interspersed with these, like, slow-weighted piano chords in the middle, and it's like, all right, I've been here before. I've been here in so many that I just can't feel the same extent of this through the music. This is actually one of those strange cases that this album is shaping up as of track eight to be an album where I really am feeling more of this through the through the lyrics uh, yeah. than the music by by miles. It's it's becoming very apparent. Which is I mean, a, the, painful. The music the music in this track is very cliche in the sense that the hip hop parts sound like a hip hop part and the R and B courses sound like an R and B chorus. Like, they don't just sound like they sound like R Kelly. I mean, like it's like the most R and B pop can be. Yeah, and it's and it's. It's not hiding it. It's very, again, self-awareness. I'm going back to that. Like, this was definitely um, premeditated. He definitely wanted to do this. This is not an accident. This is not him, like, happening to fall into this because he didn't know what else to do. I find it very unlikely that there are things on this album that wasn't with intention. Mm -hmm. So he's doing that to convey a point. It's just, yes, musically does leave the track lacking a little bit. From here we go to Polarize. Just track nine. 
which mirrors Doubt fairly well also. Um, this one sounds like the most out of all of them, a very club track, familiar, kind of, you know, in your face, but very much the kind of track you'd hear at a club being played. Even more so because it, it kind of even subtracts that the doubtful elements that existed musically in the previous track. It subtracts that. You don't have the, the, the slow-weighted piano chords or the introspection, the hypnotic qualities. Instead, it's it's very anthemic, like, as it goes down. Even the, these these choruses, help me polarize, help me polarize, help me down. Those stairs is where I'll be hiding all my problems. Help me polarize, help me polarize, help me out. My friends and I, we got a lot of problems, <laughs> which is kind of funny, but to have, to have that as your anthem, essentially, there's obviously some cheekiness in there, but it's, it's still musically, it, you, could, you could put any lyrics here if you were just to supplant the lyrics, you know, and, and just listen to the music itself. I, I feel like they're interchangeable. But that said, I mean, making this sound like a club track, considering the quality more or less that we'd been getting prior to this, would be polarizing. So again, it's still fitting the mold of the theme that he's creating. Yeah. He's throwing a random club track in the middle of his album to polarize his audience with a track called Polarize. And I feel like that's But I'm not so polarized. I think that's No, I don't either, because it doesn't seem super unexpected for what we've heard so far. There was enough dance and kind of reggae that this is not unbelievable. Well, there's yeah. a couple of things, because towards the mid-late section of the track... It gets a little anthemic in in its sort of call. We've problems, and it's na 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 na. Yeah, out there reaching up, trying to get the group together. We've problems. Like not we've got problems. Just literally, we've, we've problems. We've problems, and it's like celebrating the problems, and I like that. That was a nice draw to it. It's even one of the worst brands of that automatopoeia stuff. It's 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 not na na. It's it seems like it's da 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 da. Yeah. It almost sounds like a self mockery in many ways, uh, which would be consistent. It's just can be a little annoying at times. Though it does also go through one final transformation, and that's the organ in the outro. Yeah. It, it does switch it up right there, again, showing a lot of contrast, but it was kind of uh, uh, too little too late for the song as a whole. I kind of, I might have enjoyed it if it was really, like, up front with trying to, to, to slap me in the face if they were using it in the choruses or something of that sort. It just wasn't impactful enough that that late in the song itself. I mean, I think it was just meant to add color to the outro. I don't think there was much more to it than that. Well, you say that now, but considering the way the organ is used in much later tracks, oh, it true. was sort of like a preview, coming attraction uh, style. Yeah, I could see that. I also think it's uh, a result of the, well, what is an organ usually used at? It's usually used in like a kind of like cult prayer, a kind of church service thing, but in this case, a little bit more... You could usually hear it in the background while you are just having your own little silent prayer, and especially as he's, as he's saying lines like, I wanted to be a better brother, a better son. I wanted, it is a lot of regret in this. And yeah. I feel like that's usually the, the areas where he invokes the organ. So that, goes, that brings us on to track 10, uh, We Don't Believe What's on TV. Which is maybe more polarizing, I thought, frankly, from a musical perspective. This was very fast-paced, almost like punk-oriented, and yet it's still got maybe that steady, like, uh, mandolin-slash-ukulele thing in the background. And I do really like the way the bass contrasts with it, uh, and the choiring in the background. It's, it's jaunty. It was just... The only thing I guess I could... As an overlier for this track, I could just describe it as being fast-paced and that means yeah. really nothing in the grand scheme of things it, it was only polarizing in the, on that level alone the rest of it was very was very plain uh, here's the well, verse 
we don't believe what's on TV because it's what we want to see. And what we want, we know we can't believe. We have all learned to kill our dreams. It's the same theme. It's the same theme as earlier. I like I like what he's getting at. It's it's everyone should heed this this uh, societal problem that he's certainly not the first to to uh, to point out. But it's 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 a little repetitive even for the album at this point. I thought. Well, I think like the problem with this we've got stuff like this similarly on the record the judge was not too far afield from this you know kind of more acoustic very kind of jaunty um this one moves a little faster but what i liked about all of the previous tracks up until this point is they do more or less take their time they never feel long but they take their time with what they're conveying whereas here it's just it's moving very quickly it's just kind of trying to get through the song uh. Well, except for the chorus slowed down. I mean, the tempo remains the same, but everything seems to go to about half speed yeah. as far as the beat work, the vocal work. I don't care what's in your hair. I just want to know what's on your mind. I used to say I want to die before I'm old, but because of you, I might think twice. And that, that idea, that sentiment is a different way of saying I love you than I've heard in a while. It is, it is enjoyable to hear that, especially because it's more of a break from the song itself to really say, uh, here's something a little bit different I found. Well, but we had that a little bit earlier on too. The idea, you know, the she's she's the tear in my heart. That that kind of did the same thing. We have the the, the general theme was present throughout, but it is always is it's always placed in contrast to the other figure in his life that I I think is maybe driving a lot of this to to at least keep him grounded. Or maybe that's the antithesis of all this. Like, without that other figure, without the she, then he'd be down the rabbit hole already. So, that, that's a nice sentiment, but, yeah. I also <laughs> feel like in these last couple of tracks, like, especially in this track, we've kind of lost a sense of blurry face here. Like, that character just seems a little kind of lost. Whereas in Doubt and Polarize, it, it was kind of a lot stronger. Here, I don't know, just it, this song feels very plain. For a song that wasn't that long, actually on the shorter side for this album... It it didn't really do anything for me. I no, just, that's a good point drag. about the blurry face. I, I yeah. was thinking the same thing. It's like kind of kind of seemed to leave. I, I, and for the album, that, for that being the t- the album's title, I thought that was a little bit odd. Um, in, unless you could say that as he becomes a little bit more a little more self-actualizing, this this album would kind of edit out a blurry face, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, if you're making strides to kind of overcome that inside voice then that would make sense. I just feel like this song still felt a little thin. You know, it wasn't it didn't drag by any means, but it just felt a little thin, a little soulless. He 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 makes nods to songs being soulless and feeling common on this record and previous tracks. I think this is simply just one of those common tracks that but we talked this, about. But but I will say for me, I enjoyed it just listening. I really just I didn't get deep into this track. I didn't think it was, you know, the be-all, end-all of the universe or anything like that by any stretch. But it still became an earworm for me. I still enjoyed just the nature mm-hmm. of it, just to feel some energy. Mm-hmm. And as long as I don't peer too deeply into it, it's enough to get me by. The best I can say about this track is that I didn't hate it. I mean, I, I don't know that I enjoyed it, but I didn't, it, didn't, it didn't offend me. I didn't hate it. I didn't think it didn't belong. I just felt it was kind of thin. It's the it's the end of album problem for me. Without it actually like coming to a a sort of major realization, I feel like a lot of his cards have been laid out on the line already, and this is a little bit of a rehash on the same theme using less musical uh, prowess. Let's go to track eleven, Message Man. 
here we get back into what I'm looking for from this record. Um, it starts with chanting and a little bit of onomatopoeia, but it's very much mixed into the instrumentation. Which so, is organs, which is drums, which is bass, which there is a big change right there. And that feels more natural. It doesn't feel like they're just chanting for chanting's sake. It does feel like part of a mix of the instrumentation, which I really enjoyed. And then the verse slows it down. That's 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 the interesting part. You get the no, 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 no. But then the verse comes in and... A loser hides behind a mask of my disguise, and who I am today is worse than other times. You don't know what I've done. I'm wanted and on the run. I'm wanted and on the run, so I'm taking this moment to live in the future. All right, now we're getting kind of like, I, I want to say elegant in the poetry. He's, he's going a little more broad on his brushstrokes to really paint a little more color into what he's doing instead of being cheeky, instead of being very on the nose with his metaphors. This well, is, because this is, this is the broad. track where the, the whole metaphysical nature of this, or the, the metatextual nature, rather, is indeed metatextual. In other words, it's not on the music, it's on the text. Yeah. It's, please use discretion when you're messing with the message man. These lyrics aren't for everyone. Only a few understand. Um... Okay, <laughs> this is, it's interesting to even say, all right, well, my music may not be for everyone. My music may not even be up to snuff, frankly. I don't even know if it's up to snuff. I don't think I'm allowed to let it be up to snuff. But maybe even these lyrics are not just going to, they're not going to get certain people because not everyone has the same problems as I do, which is also a nice sentiment to at least ha include that self-awareness. It's like this, this, this album is not allowing itself. He's not allowing himself to just, to just be and to just vent. He's one of these people who always... It seems to, at least the character here, always seems to think of the other thing. Well, what are people going to think at every single step? And he said, even much earlier on in the album, I care what people think. And it's because of that care at every step, he's going to question everything. And he's going to question what he produces, which I think is a really, really nice sentiment. I think that's something that very few artists have. And that's something that's really going to bump this up for me, even when I'm I'm, I'm critical of some of the the broader things, the broader musical questions. He's made a couple of references to stuff like my good people, good people, and just like his clique, his crew, in a couple of cases here, it's my people singing, my people singing. And then it goes into one of the best rap verses on the entire album. I hope you're dead, because how could you sleep at a time like this? People, they rhyme like this. We're all impressed by this. They rip it, flip it, but these are just triplets. Wrote this in three minutes, three words to a line. It's just poetry divided. I'm the kind of guy who takes every moment he knows he confided in. Music to use it for others to use it. You're dead, because how could you sleep at a time like this? Life is up here, but you comment below. And the comments will always become common motivation to promote your show's next episode. So your brain knows to keep going, even though hope is far from this moment. But you and I know it gets better when morning finally rears its head. Together we're losers. Remember the future. Remember the morning is when night is dead. And that right Ooh. there, that final line, morning is when night is dead. That's one of the coolest parts of his poetry I've read to date. I've listened to to date. Because that phrasing is... Very unique to me. I would argue that the entire rap verse is the is the best. Not just that it's, last it's, line. It's fighting because, with one or two I mean, others. Even but yeah. It's a great about, culmination. I mean, talking about um, and the comments will be will always be common motivation. Like talk, alluding, not even alluding, but flat out saying all of these things that are within the popular music industry, within pop culture, within YouTube generation, within you know 
you know, just life and society now. It's This is a very self-aware verse. The most self-aware moment, I think, on the entire album. I think if and you just slice apart all of these verses, or, or even most of these uh, these raps that you find in the middle of these tracks, you'll have a manifesto, essentially. Yeah. I mean, it's just the it's good so in-your-face <laughs> and personal here that and I... the music halfway through cuts out mm-hmm. almost to nothing, and it's just him going. And it's... It, it just further light. it just further promotes the skill he's got to, to to spit out these raps, which is why I think moments like this upset me more about mo- uh, 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 songs like track ten, because track ten is just devoid of all of this talent, skill, and in- and interestingness. I don't know <laughs> if it's devoid. That might be going a little too far. It's definitely lacking by comparison, and I know that they're different for reasons. But I don't want that. I want this. Why have that when you have this? It just it it boggles my mind a bit. Okay, right? the- and I know that it's supposed to be self-aware, and I know that he's doing some of this stuff intentionally, and I get that. But it gets to a point where eventually I want what I know he can provide. I agree. Um, I do believe there is some question, even on this album, even from his own words, as to what he knows he can provide. Right. They, maybe we've seen it better, for sure. I still believe he can go further. A lot of this has to do with... Not just the self-awareness of, of it being, you know, him him being limited, but maybe him actually using this exact format because he knows it might actually get to the the largest number of people. Right. Because, obviously, as far as the charts tell us, that would be true. And he did this on tour. They both did it on tour, Dunn yeah. and Joseph's. I mean, it wasn't where they were sitting in a studio for six months to a year by themselves, just writing, mixing, recording, all that sort of stuff. It was when they were doing a lot of other stuff at the same time. I would say that that might be a cause for some of the things. It could be. Take that and add in the fact that we're working with so many producers. I know making excuses at this point in some ways for why we feel like they could have gone further and it didn't quite reach that culmination, but these are still valid reasons in many ways. It's the tail end. It's time for excuses. <laughs> Let's move on to track 12, um, the beginning of the end or the... Yeah, the beginning of the end. Um, Hometown. This, my biggest issue from this song from the beginning is it has this kind of floating on clouds, final, very feeling, very final aesthetic. And this isn't the last track. There are two more after this. But it feels very much like the kind of track we've got on on many albums that kind of wrap everything up. Even the chord progression sounded kind of cinematic in the way that a Hans Zimmer uh, track might sound cinematic and that he's mostly a, chiefly a cinema composer. But it feels, it, it's got that vastness to it, uh, mm-hmm. all amid sounding still kind of like an 80s, like, techno yeah, pop late, thing. It, it, late 70s, like a, early 80s. It's transition. like a grooving kind of dance song, not mm-hmm. necessarily like a fast-paced dance song. And it did have another thing that really did bother me, was the post-chorus big build-up pickup kind of a noise that they kind of expect from 80s pop music. It wasn't really my cup of tea. This this Uh, song just feels like the ending, and it's not. And I don't understand musically what the point is. I mean, it it sounds okay. It's not terrible by any means, but it just feels very generically like an 80s slow groove dance song. And I don't know what other purpose it serves besides that. And this was the first track that really did feel its length for me. It yeah. it, it felt longer than what it was. Yeah, and it's the a, same experience. It's the first time, but that's not good for any 
track on an album. Sure, but I mean, if we're going to I think go it's because they decided to add another uh, chorus, hook and chorus at the tail end. Uh, it just seemed to, to drive the point home a little bit, too. But, but that said, I mean, to, for a song to start feeling long towards the last three tracks, I mean, that's not so bad. We usually get that sensation earlier on on an album that we might be frustrated with, whereas yeah, here... We, we also like it with something we like. <laughs> right, so... As silly as that statement is. Um, but I think as a whole, this track doesn't have a lot of substance to it. I mean... The lyrics are okay, but they don't really say anything much more than than what we'd been getting before. Um, I mean, even the hometown. Chorus. I honestly, it's just the question of why bring your hometown into this now. I think it's still the idea of maybe getting back to his. Well, not then. Not that the idea of getting back to his roots was ever really a theme in this album, but maybe just the idea that his own true self, whatever if he sees that as his roots. For instance, he has certainly had his issues with the fact that uh, rap culture or hip-hop culture might expect him to all this, to be some, from some kind of hood, and obviously that's not the case. But that said, this song seems to represent like a dark past almost. You know, the chorus says, where we're from, there's no sun. Our hometown, hometown's in the dark. Where we're from, we're no one. Our hometown's in the dark. That's just it. I think it's the idea that, well, as far as maybe this culture is concerned it's in the dark being it's a blip on the radar it's yeah. not pivotal perhaps maybe even in his in his growth if that if that maybe is his insinuation well it's it's i mean it's another form of insecurity he's exploring on this album but it's kind of unnecessary in some ways because it it, it doesn't really go and explain why he's so insecure about being a nobody any better than any of the previous tracks had really done. I mean, in the previous ideas, we're getting, oh, he wants to be popular. He wants people to like him. So he's conflicting with that idea. He's conflicting with the idea of being a sellout or something like that. This is just really reiterating I'm nobody from nowhere. And that doesn't really do much at a tail end of this it's idea. It's just showing more of the self-deprecation, which we've gotten previously. I'm nobody from nowhere, and I don't know how to get back to where I was, if indeed that's the purpose at all. <laughs> because he says, we don't know, we don't know where to get, where to find uh, what was once in our bones. Which is uh, obviously bones used, like the bones of our ancestors and yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. Like getting back to... But if you don't know how to get back to it, and you're not even sure if you want to get back to it, I just... I, I don't know, it... It's a little bit of a non-entity, I guess that's the, the, the reason. The song felt a little pointless. Not not completely, but a little bit. Like, it just, it did seem to meander. Yeah. Clearly it seems like his, his best efforts are placed when he's not really trying to get back to his roots, but when he's indeed talking about the present. There's no roots involved is when you're questioning your art as it happens. Yeah. And that's his strength. So, this, this, I think, you know what the biggest problem was? This track lacked the self-awareness we had gotten in all the other tracks. It was more reminiscent, it was more ruminating, and less self-aware. All right, track 13, Not Today. Um, uh, this brings back that church organ that I mentioned earlier. We also get a strong bass intro. It starts with just the bass, followed by some quick lyrics. It really is just the, the, the bass on this kind of like, and one end. And three N, and one N, and three N, with the vocals in the background, and then just the solemn church organ to to provide a little bit of ambience, and that's it. That that's the whole that's all structure here. It's pretty simple. Then the piano steps in, and this is more that eh, I don't even know how to describe it. From at this point on, it 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 kind of de-emphasized that introspection that we had in the very beginning, and then it becomes very dull. And as a whole, this was kind of another static track to me. And that was the point. That was the crux of this track's message. It wasn't the most innovative musically, but when you actually get to the lyrical line by line, 
Listen, I know this one's a contradiction because of how happy it sounds, <laughs> but the lyrics are so down. It's okay, though, because it represents way better yet it is who I feel I am right now. Uh, just to go back to what I said before about how he's the kind of guy who probably thinks about every little thing, about every what everyone else might say, thinking two, three steps ahead, he's the kind of guy who might actually imagine that someone or, or maybe three podcasters somewhere around the world might be, you know, reviewing his album. Although he'd probably be too humble to say so. But, but the possibility is there. Hence he lays down these lines to, to de-emphasize the music when, when he feels that that's, that's maybe not the thing. Or, or de-emphasize the lyrics when that's not the thing. Or be so upfront about the contradictions because he's aware of them at every step of the way. And he can't not admit it. <laughs> My biggest problem with this track is even though it started very interestingly and those lyrics when they come around in the verses are engaging and interesting the instrumentation kind of lacks engagement and then the choruses just feel very much kind of I don't want to say soulless but it does like the soulless pop he's picking no. fun, fun of it, it, it rings of that kind of here's a thing here's a chorus we put it here. the point this is all about the veneer and I it's get that about but it goes too far. This is one of those that went a little bit too meta to deliver the message. It, it's it's trying to deliver the message through this meta shaping. I just, I don't care. Well, it's, I don't. With this track, it's it just falls flat. It's right there. It's going, hey, 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 look at this. <laughs> hey, look, I'm hollow on the inside. Hey, I'm pretty on the outside. It's doing that. It's, it's a little bit too much. Shameless strikes at Matt there. <laughs> when you're hearing it in a kind of a, a passive listen, it's a nice candy song, but... When you go delve into the active listen of it, it doesn't do much more. Well, and also as a track, it's still doing the same thing the last track was doing. This is also an alternative ending. It's like an alternate ending, and it, it just doesn't give me any more substance than the previous one. Speaking of alternate endings, the Clue movie had two faux endings, and this is kind of what we're getting right here. Because in the next track, Goner, this is the earned ending I was expecting in track 12. So this is the sad last song cliche, which also is, I mean, I figure if we're going to hit all those notes, might as well hit this one too. But it's this not... one is, this one starts purely piano and vocals in a Ben Foldsian kind of way. But it's not, it's not that beat up. It's not no. that raw. The vocals are surprisingly right against the mic and the piano is nice and clear. It doesn't feel... Like there's dilapidation thrown on top of everything else that you kind of get with these cliche endings. It's very close and very personal because of that. And I'm okay with, you know, going into this. But it doesn't stay there. There's a tap in the course. And I know Steve wasn't a particular fan of this, but I enjoyed it. It, it did build a little bit of apprehension in the first chorus. The second chorus actually doubles it and then builds upon it. And then it goes into just almost the loss of the mind. And that's what I kind of like about this track. It really does progress towards the kind of inevitable sad ending we were expecting with this sort of an album. I will say I see the loss of a mind, but in only the, in only the narrowest of margins from a musical perspective. Um, and I, I, I want to insert a little, a little interjection here. From the musical perspective, I'm tired of saying that phrase. I don't want to have to speak. Uh, this is a music podcast. We chiefly talk about that. And I, I, I am quite tired of saying, well, from a musical perspective, something is such. 
In general, I feel it should usually almost always come back to that, which is why that little caveat is just a, a kind of a problem for me. It's painful for me to do. Getting back to my point, though, from a musical perspective, there is some marriage here in this loss of his mind. Around uh, two minutes, 40 seconds, somewhere around there, the piano starts getting a little bit more dissonance, like the first bit of dissonance that I really heard on the album. And it starts like it's, everything's breaking down, and I kind of, I kind of dig that. And it was really... It worked really well as an introduction to the final thrash that I think in some sense, uh, and Matt even put it this way, that he earned. It feels like the album had earned this. He's been bottling all of this up throughout every single track through this sort of musical or pop musical pasta press kind of. It's just that's the, that's the only the, the sieve that he's known how to use or that he's felt he's had to use for the duration of this album. And finally here, he just, he needs to get something off his chest. So sure, go ahead, explode, thrash it out. Um, he even screams during some of these sections, which he really hasn't done at all on the album. Actually, if, if, you, if you take this, I, I want to liken it to a bottle of soda that's getting shook up. You get a little bit of a... That, that, that first little tension coming out when he starts going, don't let me be gone. And it's so yeah. heartbroken. Don't let me be gone. Don't let me be gone. He says it four times. And then the cap comes off. Everything explodes. Don't let me be. Don't let me be. And that emphasis he throws into it, that, that everything just thrown on top of it is... It's just an explosion of the emotion that, nice like you said, has been bottled up the whole time. A little touch of the Kafka-esque. <laughs> Don't let me be. Uh, this is, an, uh, this is a, a tough album to invoke criticism on because you feel as if he already knows. Well, yeah. That's the tough one. That's I mean, the toughest one. I think that's what adds the bittersweet quality to this track at the end is that, like, he's looking for sympathy but also he's still self-deprecating he's still kind of aware and so it's kind of hard i mean the vocal quiver that he delivers with is the strongest here so you get that raw emotion from his his vocals and this is probably the most emotionally vulnerable he'll get on the entire record this as well. is like sending in like a term paper to your professor with a bunch of footnotes at the bottom like please don't don't judge this section really harshly please don't look too keenly onto that paragraph because i know i really really screwed up here but 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 I, if you stick with me if you stick with me it's apparent it sounds like and the one thing of my is, explanations at the end it is apparent and it's apparent that, that that's the problem that's the what we're about to go through is the problem and that's what he's dealing with and that's what this album is addressing uh good luck with that i'm going not first <laughs> i don't have to go first so matt i guess i'm going first um yeah this album was complicated to tackle for a plethora of reasons and i mean we've kind of hit on all of them throughout the review I'm going to attempt to lead by example and be as not wordy as possible. Um, just because there's been a lot explained in this record. I feel like if all of us take turns describing what we felt from the record, we'll just be repeating ourselves. And I'd like to avoid that. That said, this is clearly a stalling tactic because I'm not quite sure what to rate it. Um, <laughs> it's tough. When, when, when you want to rate something that's so hyper self-aware, this is almost like rating stand-up comedy and bear with me for this most good stand-up comedy i'm talking bill burr christopher titus in his prime you know uh, uh um, gabriel iglesias you know uh, george carlin all yeah. of the all of the com comedians who 
when they focused on their personal lives for a story, trying to criticize that, like, that's telling Christopher Titus, your life is not funny because, you know, you had this horrible upbringing. Well, clearly it's funny. He's making it funny. You know, Bill Burr also picks on himself and makes fun of himself and digs at himself. When he talks about his, his inadequacies about homosexuality, he's never blaming the person who's gay. He blames himself for not knowing how to deal with it or, or how to explain it or how to talk about it. I feel there's a lot of that inherent personal connection to comedy and a personal life in this album. He's delivering either through this character blurry face or specifically through himself this perspective that's very personal, that's very self-aware, that's very on the nose. So to hurt it for being on the nose is very difficult. The theme is really strong. The, the, the meta nature of the whole album is really strong. But the music does lack in places. I'm willing to overlook it for the emotional connection I derive from it. I mean, this, this album essentially is him opening a vein, either as this character or as himself. And I feel like that really pushes it above the poop to be <laughs> ineloquent now. It pushes it above the crap, like that alone. Even if the music was even blander than it was, it would still rise above because of how strong the messaging and the personal connection this has. So for me, rating it on the higher end is not that unreasonable based on how I look at this stuff. That said, it's not upper echelon. It's not five because there are flaws. Intentional or not, there are flaws. And I feel like you can still make a point while even improving the mediocre stuff and making it shine through in places or something. I don't know. I can't honestly tell him what to do differently here because thematically it's so strong you could lose the theme if you made any changes. And that's yeah. that's what makes it difficult. But it still makes it hard for me to rate it a 5. That said, I still think it's above a 4. This for me is a 4.25. I think what... I think what makes it lack the 4.5 or 5 rating is some of the hesitance in the powerful moments. There are songs where it goes above and beyond, and those could have gone further. You want to keep some tracks pigeon-held because you're trying to make a point? Great, don't change those at all. But the songs that go above and beyond, take them even further. When you do that dubstep breakdown, really go crazy. Make it like, you know... Uh, Nero crazy or Skrillex crazy like go all the way and push those limits at least in those moments so that's why it lands at a 4.25 for me that said I love this album I want to go back through their old stuff now this is going to be another flow bots for me is in high four you know mid fours and I want to know more so you've got that I'll start by first of all tacking on one other example to your to your little comparison there to stand up comedy. This is uh, for for me. This is like when people say that the uh, cast of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia are horrible people, and that's why they don't like the show because they're horrible people. That's the joke. That's, that's the, the point. joke, and yeah. I know that that'll, that'll be absolutely hit or miss to the crowd out there who obviously will have diverging opinions on the show. But that's the thing, and that is not maybe it's in a appropriate because I'm not saying Tyler Joseph is a horrible person. <laughs> That's not the uh, the analogy here. I am saying that he produced this specifically to be an album of conflict, of artistic conflict. And I think a lot of that does come back to his music. And uh, later on, it comes back to his lyrics as well. You name it, he knows it. He knows it's coming, and he knows we're, that someone's going to probably say this stuff. But you're right, the theme would not hold up. It simply would not hold up if you 
took this stuff away if you if you if you minimized it in a way I, I it's it's almost a it's impossible it's it's literally impossible to come at this from the critical perspective i can only go by me music moves me that's why i'm doing this that's why i've been doing this for three years if you took the music by itself i just would not be moved i wouldn't know what to think with this i i would just think this is oh yeah all right stick it in the club well that's good that's good, but that doesn't that doesn't take that next level for me. There are only a couple of things here where I feel like it really is jiving from a musical perspective, and that is the the, the the lyrics. The lyrics, especially when he's rapping, because that there's an element of music within that, where they are not merely lyrics. They are lyrics using music elements, using cadence, using rhythm. That's where I think he's got some honest skills, some real prowess, and I, I just I need more behind it. And in many ways, this uh, this album is, is overproduced. I, I think it could have served to just strip away element after element and boil it down to him and his insecurities. That's what this is about. It's just he can't do this without showing the bloated contrast. The album is is an embodiment of everything that he feels he needs to be, I think, for the public, which is just so, so painful. I, I don't believe that an artist should be anything, but I have no idea of the constraints that he literally dealt with regarding his label. Who knows? There could be a missing element to the story here, and this is his way of really uh, of venting his, his issues with people. That's just pure speculation. I won't get involved with that. I will just simply say that for the theme alone, negating every bit of music, which I just feel is a little bit hackneyed here, um, this is a 3.9. That's pretty incredible for theme alone for me, because I feel that it is a work of art that concerns this metatextual theme of being aware that he's an artist that may not be able to create the most jaw-dropping works. It's pretty incredible. For that reason alone, it skirts the four, but it, I, I can't bring it to the four before that reason I mentioned earlier, is that it comes back to the music with me at the end. But that's pretty incredible that this is the first album I, I feel like I've just been been whisked away on this journey by the lyrics alone. And at least for his, his rapping ability, I think that, that, that music brought it home for me um, fairly strong. So, yeah. The character that the blurry face album represents i i feel an emotional connection to but it's it's more than that this album did something that really hasn't happened too often in my life i'm feeling both sympathy and empathy for the character i i understand what tyler has actually written out here in his lyrics and I, I'm, I'm both there and seeing the character. And that's really just, just an amazing little thing for me. I don't ever really feel that. It's not a story that I'm just enjoying the main character. It's a story I'm in in a lot of ways. So that's where this album truly stands out for me. But honestly, I feel like I might be a little more critical of the music than I think you two are. But when I balance those out, I'm actually still I'm right in the middle for the most part. I'm this is a solid 4.2. It's not a 2.5. It's not it's not really there for me. There's other things I would say is more of a four of a quarter than this. The music is the only thing that's really holding this album back at all, and it's not holding it back in in every place. Just 
in a lot of places. Don't get me wrong. I sympathize with this character plenty. I that's that's like wholly the reason why I give him that rating is because it's yeah. all sympathy. I I I am even as a budding artist. I I am very very. I feel for this guy. Uh, it's just it's through the words. It's always through the words. And I it's think more that's what's it's more it, yeah. like I'm reading poetry here. And I'm okay with that. I think at the end of the day, I'm truly okay with that from an artistic standpoint, because as Matt said, and I'll reiterate, it couldn't work without the music creating the juxtaposition. I think for me, the reason I rated it so high is because I think just from the lyrics alone, I gain more emotionally than some of the albums we've reviewed this year have done with the total package. Yeah. And so for me, that's what pushes it higher. That doesn't mean that it's better or worse per se on a purely technical level. It just means I found that point that pushed it higher for me. Yeah, one of the strongest parts of the entire album was when the music cut out and his rap just held the center stage. Sure. Um... My emotions are just more linked with music. That's, that's, that's <laughs> right. The, the no, no, of, of course, absolutely. Whereas we tend to both lean more towards lyrics, so the dichotomy makes sense. Our dynamic is still intact. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do want to go back to a word that I kept uh, repeating at nauseum today: self-awareness, meta, metatextual. We talked about this a lot during this album, yet we haven't really touched on that in music as a whole a lot. Now, being meta is kind of a buzzword now in, in modern culture because. A lot of because it's a tagline on so tag, many it, things. It, it, it can be, yeah. But but realistically, taking stuff and acknowledging something within a work that's self-referential can be meta, but can also be very fulfilling. Uh, this idea that you're acknowledging that you exist in a world where this stuff exists on a very comical, open-ended level, like uh, Iron Man in a movie referring to Hawkeye as Legolas, is meta because. That's a fantasy world where another fan, a book about fantasy exists, that kind of a thing. Well, I want to get into that, that, little, uh, that little caveat that you put down because that's really important. Why should it just be a buzzword that people are kind of starting to, to shun at this point? I want to get into that reason because I'm sure there are going to be people you know, that listen to this and they hear us dropping the word meta throughout this. And there's going to be groaners. There's going to be groaners just like we felt we were groaners. But I'm going to pull a Tyler Joseph here uh, and actually address that. And to say, look, because we were aware of it as we did it, why should there be this this sort of strange aversion to the word? And I think it is because of the little bit of the the pretentiousness ascription, the uh, the hipster ascription, the idea of being collegiate or playing collegiate when you may not have really looked that deeply into the work. Into the work, but because it just seems so high art, the concept of speaking of your art through your art mm-hmm. that seems so high art in of itself, then people automatically say, like, oh, wow, this is brilliant. This is brilliant. And that's not the end of it. That really is not the end of it. That doesn't necessarily make something brilliant, but it does make it interesting. It gives you more to talk about as you go. So people are only have this aversion to it because it, 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 it's, it's popular to do such a thing today. That's about it. It doesn't make it, doesn't make it uh, uh, valid. Yeah. And one of my favorite bands, which I talked about last week very briefly, and we've talked about all the time because I love talking about them, Steam Power Giraffe, Hatch Fever was their approach to a meta song. When halfway through it, you have a Get Down With The Robots techno section, and you have another line which talks about take your heart out of your chest, and then they're like, wait, 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 that's bad. You would kill yourself. And so they go on to explain, don't do that. If you did that, go to the hospital. This little idea of being meta, I latch on to things like that. I like that because 
it's a joke. It's meant to be ironic. It's meant to make you laugh because they're actually being they're they're, they're being self-referential because they want to get a smile out of you. It does connect you to the artist. It makes you it does make you empathize. It's the best way to do so. Another one is tribute by Tenacious D, which was all about the song that was the greatest song ever, but they, they couldn't remember it, so they wrote a tribute to that song. And I love that song because it's all about how they kind of can't do it again ever, even though the song kind of is. It really actually is kind of poppy when you get down to the core. Oh, but of it. that's just the greatest thing about it is because I love that song because in in their own meek way, like who would have honestly thought that Jack Black and an old friend of his, Kyle Gass, would get together and actually would be an amazing rock group. Yeah. Who would think that? They're the last people. But that song is amazing. It yeah. is genuinely amazing. So you go through it having this outstanding arc. You go into it thinking, okay, this is funny. They're talking about being the writing the best song ever made. How cute. And then you realize by the end of it that you are entirely immersed to it probably haven't been that immersed into a song ever since like the classic rock balls to the wall days it's 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 the, both of them are incredible talents and they're nothing to poo poo as a result of that song which actually makes me str- more strongly against this album because of only because of that reason because if you can prove after the fact that you actually were that thing you were afraid of not being that's that's amazing but I think also it's important to point out when it comes to meta that it doesn't always have to be funny or or comical. I mean, there are many different ways to be meta, and it doesn't have to always be ref- self-referential to music. If you're self-referential to personal life in a narrative, it can be meta as well. I mean, let's, this would not be a worthwhile discussion if I didn't, of course, as always, bring up Sick Passenger by Shape of the Dark Lord. Or at least some nerdcore. Or some nerdcore in, in some capacity. But seriously, I mean, we, the three of us have listened to that album, and it's very self-referential because it's about his life. And throughout the album, there are, you know, therapy sessions that are obviously not the real therapy sessions, but they're scripted, so they could be the real therapy sessions. You don't know. Also, the song Intervention, which features Adam Warrock, Dr. Awkward, MC Frontalot, Jesse Dangerously, all these other nerdcore rappers, barging in to give him an intervention, and then eventually him giving way to it and agreeing that he needed it, that wasn't the actual intervention recorded by happenstance on his album, but it gives you the feeling that it is, which is also very meta. It would not shock me that Nelson Lugo and some of his actual close friends, not to say those rappers aren't, but I'm saying like his closest friends sit down with him and had an intervention like that, so he decided to make a song about it because he needed to express it in his own way. But those personal experiences conveyed that way through an album that seems to be a narrative, or that is a narrative, can be very meta and self-aware john you're gonna like this one but i just recalled uh the blue album of weezer sure (laughs) garage yes in the garage in the garage and there was a line in there where he's literally just talking about why he sits in his garage essentially being a nerd and 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 writing his stupid little songs in the garage that's that's the definition of self-deprecation right there you have to let me quote you have to let me quote fine go in the garage where i belong no one hears this stupid song Oh, and here's this stupid song. I think he, he also said these stupid songs at some point in the song. But yes. anyway, the point is, really drag down your work in your work. Yeah. That's kind of horrible on one hand, but it also was his way of burying himself and his kind of, uh, you know, I'm not the bee's knees as a musician. I think he went into that. Rivers Cuomo went into that in his in his earliest stuff. And he, he gets 
bigger within the confines of what Weezer exists. And then all of a sudden, everyone decides to be super critical. And I feel like I feel like this is an album, today's album. This, I, I would send this over to Rivers. I don't know. Maybe he'd like it. <laughs> well, it's, Rivers has a habit of doing stuff like that. Even on his newest album, he had a little bit of that going on. But uh, if I remember cre- correctly, another love song. Mm-hmm was all about it and it was styled as a love song referring to other love songs yeah that's, I mean that's what he does I think being meta as a tool in music like anything else like a strong narrative like a strong theme like you know powerful emotion I think can be used very well it can be cliche but truthfully it if you're being meta it's leading to something usually pretty personal so or something comical but either way you're looking for an additional connection to the audience. And that's where a lot of the meta comes from, is that audience connection, stepping outside the confines of the record and almost being there in person. Well, we discussed this when we were talking about like albums that are, are uh, self-titled or self-titled by the artist, that is, and mm-hmm. it's it's their personal album. The personal album, where it, down from track one to, to track anything, it's there it's them it's yeah. it's their soul that you're looking at and why that can be a little bit of a a, a, a turnoff to some people and why it can also really like tug the heartstrings of others it depends on your your ability to empathize and also your ability to reconcile their work like what is actually being produced along with what they're just kind of spilling to you and whether that indeed constitutes art for instance i i mentioned several times today like it sounds like a diary entry it depends how poetic your diary is because diaries aren't necessarily meant to be poetry. They're meant to serve a purpose. Right? They're typically they're not ramblings. Necess- they're typically ramblings. They're not always art. They can be art, but they don't necessarily go hand in hand. If there's something poetic that comes out of it, great. But it doesn't equate to art. And I think that's why people are a little bit hesitant. They can they can empathize. They can sympathize. But but at the end of the day, are are they are they really gleaning something from it? I think that's that's what we're all looking for in art. And I, while I love the idea of being self-referential and really delving into these sort of things, at times it can be heavy-handed when you're sure. when you go too far. I mean, here we had even today a couple of times where it kind of just went too far. Well, it was meant to be a little bit too much of what it was trying to explain. It's more like with respect to everything else. I don't think anything whole in, individually on this album was too far like whoa whoa too much information i don't think it was that that uh uh opening but it was it it was a little bit maybe too far with respect to the music around it which made it seem i guess odd it was like an uncanny valley situation you know that's actually a great way to put it yeah Uh, for those who don't know the uncanny valley is sort of you can make something look as real as humanly possible but there's always that aspect of the eyes the eyes always throw you off and there's always that one little thing where that fake person looks real but those eyes just can't be done the right in this way. case There's that little bit that just can't be done the right in this way. case the lyrics were very real to me and the music really wasn't in many ways it it did seem manufactured which is the definition of not being real and um I, I think, or not being organic i think uh, the you know the negative side like john said also is when when you pursue art and you do it in a heavy-handed way if it's a miss then you can come off as seeming pretentious or overthinking but that said, I think worthwhile art is worth creating if it upsets somebody or if somebody doesn't understand and questions it. Oh, sure. Because that at the ultimate goal of being meta in this way that he was, he you know, he wants people to have this reaction to this album. We're giving this band today, I think, exactly what they want. 
I would, I would hope. In in the sense, at least, it that may we're be simultaneously what he fears. But what I think that's another Schrodinger's cat situation. Yeah, and I think what he what he fears sometimes is what he wants, or vice versa. And uh, even more interestingly, it's a number one album, Billboard Top 200. I mean, this was wow. this was eaten up too. So, mm-hmm. with any luck, of the hundred and fifty thousand or so copies, it sold in its first week. Wow. Hopefully, a couple people gleaned the message that we yeah. kind of found in here and are rethinking the way they regard mass society. Yeah, I'll rephrase blah, blah. that. It's not whether you're like people don't glean anything from People obviously did. I think we all did. Otherwise, we wouldn't be discussing this to this length. But then again, this is what we do. Um, it's, it's really more a question of... I mean, here's the thing. Let me pull back and actually confront what we do anyway. Why, why down to the bones of it, why did we not connect with this in the whole? I just, it was that one little thing of I wanted a little bit more in the music, I guess. I wanted a little bit more in the music. You? I connected emotionally, but I felt like, again, there were some things distracting me from fully giving myself to it. And I think that was probably the music lacking a little bit. But I felt myself connecting more directly to it more intensely, possibly, than you both did, just based on the lyrics and emotional alone. Yeah, no, then then we're all on the same page. It's just, it's just strange how what you glean from it can be in matters of degree. Like, I get the message. I just, I, I don't want to like it as much. And that, I think maybe that is where, where, where uh, the state of puff pop music is really starting to dictate these terms. Because when it is through the lens of something that we're starting to almost shudder at uh, as we get it with, with more extreme ubiquity, then it, it is going to it is going to inevitably drag down uh, works like this, where you can't just give the big pass to theme alone because when it uses things that are just clearly a little bit hackneyed, you can't you can't ignore it. Um, I, I should think there was probably some other people that went into this work thinking that same thing. Uh, you could be as meta as you want, but I guess it does come back to the music in the end. I will quote him, though, at the very end here, though. Don't let me be... Don't let me be gone, followed by don't let me be. We went over this before, but I even just thinking of that last line, don't let me be, is almost like the state of stagnation itself. Because to be is not enough. Yeah, you want more than that. You want that transcendental situation where you go further and beyond. And that's just, that's the essence of the problem. Quite, quite ironic. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think this is a good place to move on before we get too deep and can't get back out. Um, I made a whole joke. Um, Before Steve reads our spam this week, I do want to give a shout out to Doug Ferguson um, of the Music A to Z podcast. He um, sent us a a listener request via the Twitter space, and I want to give him his due on the air. Um, Hey, guys, can you do an episode on Vegas International Night School by Neon Indian? The album just dropped in October. Worth checking out. So um, I did respond to him on Twitter via our Crash Chords Twitter, but I want to say on the air as well, Doug, thank you for um, sending in a listener request. We will get to it hopefully by the end of the year. If not, definitely in the new year. Um, definitely by the end of January. That's when we're penciling in. But um, but thank you for submitting it, and we will definitely get to it. Um, the, the end of the year gets pretty hectic with our year in review and our blooper episode and us all going our separate ways for the holidays in December. And November's pretty tight because we're already in it. But uh, but we will definitely, we do have it on the list, and we will definitely tackle it. So thank you for your submission, and thank you for also making an awesome podcast. Yeah. 
You're ready for spam? I am ready for spam. Yeah, I missed right. it spam. last week. After the real person. And here's the part where we play the spam theme song. Spam, 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 spam. spam. No, you're oh, supposed to be no. dead silence. Oh. Spam. What's the spam? I don't know. I guess I changed it up really long. You really do. <laughs> wow, this blog looks exactly like my old one. It's on a completely different topic, but it is pretty much the same layout and design. Excellent choice of colors. By oddloady.pl Or Elizabeth Enderby. It does almost sound like a legit comment. Yeah, there's one extra Y in, in the word my. Uh, that's that's about the only, but the, yeah, that could be a typo. Could be. Could be. But here's the or thing. Or a robot. That's a odd phrasing. And if it is a real person, then... Okay, thank you, and we apologize for thinking you're a robot, but that's an odd thing to compliment. It's the nature of the comment. It was kind of excellent, a backhanded excellent compliment. Excellent choice of colors. I mean, we, we pretty much go for, like, a colorless scheme, don't yeah, we? Yeah, it's to gray just... and black, so there are no colors, really. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's dark. Okay, never mind. It's a dumb robot. I take it back. <laughs> I want, okay, change it to floral plant. We'll see if we get a response in. Oh, please change it back to your original drab All right. scheme. All right. Sounds there good. Go. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. We got plan. your back, Elizabeth Enderby. <laughs> um, what is our album for next week, Steve? I believe it is your turn to choose. Drum roll. Drum roll for anticipation. No, All no right. drum roll. Okay. This is a band that is really near and dear to me because they're the only band that I know that has really comfortably sat under the designation of Balkan Folk. Or Baroque pop, aside from maybe the Decembrists, but that's for completely different reasons. Beirut and their album, No, No, No. No, No, No. So this is kind of strange. Really hone in on the Balkan here. Everything they do, it's, it's like it comes from the streets of the Balkans, in that whole Balkan region. Lots of horns, wonderful use of horns throughout their work. And despite the fact that they're from New Mexico, that's a little bit of an aside. Still, they're really good at it, and that's what matters in the end. Love their use of brass. Uh, in fact, their 2007 album, Flying Club Cup, used to be one of my favorites. Uh, my tastes have changed a little bit. I, I don't know whether it'd still be my favorite, but, but it has a very special place in my heart, and it's a very relaxing album, very comforting album to me today. And we'll see what we get out of a 2015 Beirut album. It's about an eight-year gap since I've been completely immersed in the band. So let's see. All right, I guess we'll uh, find out next week. See you then, and remember, music is life, and and life life is good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.